I invite you to open your Bibles to James chapter 4. We'll be looking at two verses this morning, verse 11 and 12. James 4, verse 11 and 12, this is God's holy and inerrant word. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Our Father, we ask now that your spirit would direct our hearts to your word, that we would gain understanding. And we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, once upon a time, I started that way because I don't remember if this is a true or a, uh, just a parable, a true story or a parable, but in either case, once upon a time, there were two friends who were utterly inseparable, and they were the best of friends, until one day, one of them heard a story about his friend, and he believed it, and he didn't look into it to see if it was true, and he passed it on to someone else, and On and on that story grew until eventually his friend heard of it and their friendship was broken, as you would expect. Well, some years later, the man that was maligned was taken seriously ill and he was laying on his deathbed. And his friend, who sped the slander, heard of his illness and came to see him. He confessed his wrong and asked for forgiveness, which was readily given by the dying man. The dying man said, I fully forgive what you said, but now I want you to do something for me. And his friend, wanting to please the person he slandered, and his old friend said, of course. And he said, I want you to take my feather pillow here, and I want you to scatter the feathers in the garden. And his friend thought, well, that's a little strange, but I'm not going to go against his wishes. I want to Uh, help him. And so he did that. He went outside. He took the pill. He spread the the feathers from the pill in the garden, came back in. And the dying man said, now go and gather the feathers up again. And his friend said, I I would do this for you, but it's impossible. The, The wind by now would have carried them all away. And he said, you are correct. And then he went on to say, I frankly and willingly forgave you for scattering those stories about me, but even my forgiveness cannot revoke the evil that has been done. Slanderous stories scattered abroad cannot be recalled. Slander is evil. Slander is destructive, and often it has irreparable consequences. And that's the topic that James is going to address this morning, the sin of slander. And and he tackles it head on, again, getting into your face. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Now, in the sermons we looked at previous to this, they were were given Ten Commandments. And, and, And as we looked at each one, you may recall that I said the grammar there is emphasizing that you are to start now doing these things. Start now submitting. Start now resisting. Draw near. Uh, start now. Humble yourself. Start now. So on and so on. You were to do it now. 
Well, now we turn to our passage this morning, and the Greek grammar indicates the force of this, uh, a command, but now the command that is stop now, stop now, stop doing that, stop, 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 stop slandering. And that's what he's saying. See, James is implying that these people that he's ministering to are, are guilty of slander. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said, stop now. They're in the midst of doing it. And here's the truth. I believe if James were to return today and he was to critique the 21st century church, the first thing he would notice is that some things never changed. And so he would say to us, as he said to them 2,000 years ago, stop slandering one another now. Stop now. It'd be at the top of his list. You know, when the medieval monks, they put together the seven deadly sins, they had lust, they had gluttony, they had greed, they had sloth, they had wrath, they had envy, and they had pride. And they didn't mention speaking evil against one another. And it's not really surprising that they didn't. When we think of the worst sin, slander isn't usually at the top of our list. We think of murder, of course. We, we think of stealing. In our day and age, we, we, we think of sexual sins. And, and, and there's a reason for that, because the sins of the tongue are, are so easily widespread and, and so expected and accepted that we hardly take notice when it happens. Think about it. It seems to me that slander is the number one strategy for running for election. I mean, sometimes they have a plan, usually not. Most of the time, it's just slandering of the other candidate. Truth doesn't matter. Integrity doesn't matter. Virtue doesn't matter at all. The truth is slander is what matters, and they, they tell these stories, and it's ruining our country. And, and, and if that wasn't bad enough, what's even worse is that it's ruining the church, if we're honest, slander is just as much found in the church as it's found in the world. And it's an evil, James says. It's destructive, he says. And oftentimes we cannot repair it, the consequences from it. Now, all sin is evil, you know that. And, and all sin is destructive. But slander may be worse if for no other reason it's so easily committed. John MacArthur says, whereas other sins require a particular set of circumstances before they can be committed, slander needs only a malicious tongue driven by hatred. And because it's so easy to commit slander, it's widespread and it's almost inescapable. Now, by slander, what James is getting at here, the Greek is speak evil against. That's what we have in our translation. Uh, translation. It, it means a malicious speech that is untrue. That's how we usually understand it. But James means a little bit more. James forbids any speech, true or false, which runs down another person. What James is getting at is backbiting. He's talking about a harsh, hyper critical judging, this unloving criticism. He's saying, do not defame or do not denigrate. Slander is a defamation of character. And a defamation of character, a defamatory word is a disparaging gossip. And it could be true or false. That's the point. 
And so even when you're saying something that is true about the person, you may be guilty of slander or speaking evil against your brother. You remember the Pharisee who said, thank God I'm not like other men? And especially, and he points to the tax collector. That's the idea. And another thing to understand uh, about this is you can be guilty of slander, as we've defined it here, even when you speak your evil face-to-face. It's not just when you say it behind their back. One writer said, look, most people are painfully aware of their faults and don't need your hypercritical speech to point them out. Now, don't misunderstand, and I hope you don't. James is not saying you're not to rebuke those who persist in their sin. The Bible's clear on this. Exposing sin is commanded in Scripture. Jesus says in Matthew 18, what are we to do? Somebody is living in sin, we're to go to the individual and we're to confront them with their sin. And if they repent, then we, we ha- we've brought our brother back. The idea behind confronting is what? It's restoration. It's reconciliation. If they don't repent, we bring other brothers and sisters. And, and then we confront them and say, look, we, we love you, brother, but you're doing this. If they don't listen, then we go before the church. If they don't listen, then they're excommunicated from the church. Um, and so you can rebuke somebody even publicly. James isn't denying the need for proper discipline. He isn't denying the need to expose sin with righteous intent. What he's saying is, look, check your motive. There's this fine line between exposing sin with this righteous intent and slander with malicious intent. And all too often, I fear, we, we, we cross over into the latter all in the name of doing it for the former. And see, there's another way we're guilty of this sin. It's when we minimize someone else's virtues. You know how it goes. You, you go to a friend and you say, man, I just went to uh, the concert. We'll use the concert this evening. And we heard that Emerald Strings, and they were impressive. And then, and then later, you know, Jocelyn and Doug played, and they were, they were amazing. And, and the person kind of goes, well, you know, they missed a note. Well, they didn't sing the song the way I would have. No, they didn't do this. And, and, and they're not, they're, and they may have missed the note. They may have messed up the song. The idea is that the person takes your joy and your excitement about this individual, whatever it be, it could be an athlete, it could be a preacher, it could be a friend, it could be whatever it is, and you're impressed with them and you're just sharing how the Lord blessed you through their ministry. And what they do is they want to knock that person down just a little bit. Um, and, and, and the rolling of the eyes, they don't even have to speak. It's like, yeah, yeah, I guess they were good. You know, you, you walk away. What happens? You walk away saying, maybe I was wrong. Maybe that person isn't as great as I thought they were. And you, you kind of knock down their accomplishments. They're not as impressive as I first suppose. That's what James is getting at. In all these ways we slander, we speak evil against another. And all these things that are be taken very seriously. James is saying, look, stop doing it. Stop now. And if you're not convinced how seriously you are to take this sin, I want you to consider some of these Scripture. The truth is the Old Testament denounces the sin of slandering more than any other sin. Leviticus 19 says, You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. 
When, when, when the Old Testament describes the righteous, it, it, we're told, you shall not go around. I just read that. That's not what it says. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does not do evil to his neighbor, nor takes us reproach against his friend. That's the righteous. He's describing the righteous there, and he says they don't slander. And then, then he describes the wicked in Psalm 50. You give your mouth free reign for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and you speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. Who are, who are the righteous? They don't slander. Who are the unrighteous? They slander. It, it, it's so serious that David vowed to destroy anyone who secretly slandered his neighbor. Psalm 101.5. He prayed, may a slander not be established in the earth. Psalm 140.11. Solomon even counsels us not to associate with a slander in Proverbs 20. And the Proverbs are clearness. He says that it's destructive. It stirs up contention, Proverbs 26. It, it causes deep wounds, Proverbs 18. It destroys friendships, Proverbs 16. It destroys people, Proverbs 11. Proverbs 10 says a slanderer is a babbling fool. And that's the Old Testament. Jesus said that it defiles a person in Matthew 15. Paul commanded that the Ephesians and the Colossians avoid people who slander, Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. And Peter said, do not slander others, 1 Peter 2.1. And the commands, and there's illustrations of how destructive it is. One of the better, best examples is found in 2 Samuel 10. What happens is this, the king of the Ammonites, King Nahash, died, and he was a friend of David. And he showed kindness to David. They were friends. And, and so David said, I, you know, I'll show him kindness, and I want to show kindness by showing kindness to his son, who's now the king, right? And he says, I will show kindness to Hanan, son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So what David does is he sends a delegation to him to express his sympathy that his father died. And and, and, and they do that, and so the men from David go and, and, and confront the king Hanan. And the princes of King Hanan say, do you think that's why David sent these people? Do you think David is honoring your father by sending me men to you to express sympathy? Is that why that's really happening? Hasn't David sent them to you to explore the city and spy it out and overthrow it? And so these princes see the men that David sent, who just sent them, we just read why, and they say, nah, I, I think he's trying to spy it out. He wants to conquer us. And, and, and the, the feathers now have been cast, right, from the pillow, and they're in the garden, and they're all over the place. You cannot collect them anymore. And, and King Hanan takes the bait. And so what he does is this. He humiliates David's servants. And he seized the men, shaved off half of each man's beard, cut off their garments in the middle as far as their hips, and then just sent them away. He mocked them. And, and he exposes them. And, and, and King Hanan now knows the consequences of this. He knows that David's going to retaliate. And so what he does is he hires mercenaries. And they realize that now David's going to be upset with them. They hire 20,000 Aramean foot soldiers. And, and then another king brings in 1,000 men and also 12,000 men from Toab. And so David hears that the Ammonites have mobilized these armies. 
And so what does David do? It's a turn of events. He sends his army, led by Joab, to meet them in battle. And he destroys them, 40,000 deaths. All because the princes lied and they slandered David. That, that's why. 40,000 people died. The, the capital was taken. They lost everything because of slander. That's an extreme example. It's a, it's a serious example. In fact, slander, though, is so evil that that's why it's the term used for the name of Satan in, in, in Revelation 12, the accuser of the brethren, the slanderer. That's where slander originates, by the way, with Satan himself. You remember the story in the garden? Satan goes to Eve and says, let me tell you something. God is not who he's saying he's going to be. Does he really love you? He won't let you eat of that apple? See, I said the above war was the worst. This is the worst. It wasn't just 40,000 people that died that day. When, when, when the slander that Satan brought to Eve was believed and she embraced it, she plunged a whole human race into death. And so it's no surprise that when God names his seven deadly sins, when he says in, the, in Proverbs 6, we read, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, and a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among his brothers. God just made his list of deadly sins. And he says at the end there, you know, if you just say something that's going to cause someone else to think this way or that way about that person, and it's going to cause dissension, I hate it. I hate it. And so I hope the short little walk through the Old and New Testament was convincing that, that, that slander is a great evil. And so we come to James' words this morning, and we come humbly because we know our hearts and we're ready to repent. And, and since it's so destructive and, and, and since we, we need to know how to prevent it, how to keep our tongue in check, James gives us some answers. He says, look, I want you to examine your thinking. John MacArthur says there are four areas of our thinking that, that James addresses here, and we're going to just take them from MacArthur, and, and we're going to make them our own. First, what we think about others. Think about that. What, what we think about the law, what we think about God, and what we think about ourselves, MacArthur says. Others, the law, God, and ourselves. This is what he says. Look at verse 11. What do we think about others? Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother. Brother, brother, brother. James is reminding us of the family relationship we share with other believers. That's who you're speaking about, your brother, your sister. That's the one you're tearing down, your brother, your sister. James is saying it isn't how families are supposed to act. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We're not to be hurting our brothers and sisters. Slander is the, is the very antithesis of what is expected in the family of God. And we're called to what? You know, there's a lot of one another passages in the Bible. And, and I don't remember personally when I listed them out and saying, go and slander one another. 
but yet we seem to slander one another or gossip about one another more than we support one another, care for one another, love one another, encourage one another, protect one another. And see, all those commands of the one another passages are are violated through slander. And so James is saying, look, 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 when you're about to open your mouth and you're about to tear someone down in the church, just remember when you were slandering, you were slandering your brother and your sister in the Lord. Now, looking again at verse 11, we see that James closely connects the sin of slander with that of being judgmental. He who speaks against their brother or judges his brother, he says in verse 11. The word judge means condemning. It doesn't mean not evaluating. We're to evaluate, but condemning. What did Jesus say? Judge not that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus or James, they're not saying we're never to evaluate someone else. Uh, We're never to evaluate their actions. We are. From a biblical point of view, we're supposed to do that. Nor is he saying, look, you're never to say anything negative about another person. That's not the case. If James meant that, he would have violated himself in verse 4 when he called them spiritual adulterers. But it was true. And why was he doing that? To get their attention so they'd repent. What James is doing here is he's forbidding an attitude of judgmentalism. That is, it's speech with the goal of condemning another person. It's speech with the goal of making them feel little. See, if we think of our fellow believers as those chosen by God before the foundation of the world, as those whom Christ himself died for, as those for whom we will spend an eternity in heaven with, We will seek to honor them and love them and protect them and not condemn them. And so one writer says the first step in avoiding the sin of slander is not keeping one's lips sealed, but keeping one's thoughts about others in perspective. See, slander is something we think about others long before we pass it on to others. And so we need to remember, we need to think about how we regard others, how we look at that person. Second, what we think about the law. Look at verse 11 again. The one who speaks against a brother or judges a brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. See, James' audience had this very high view of the Scripture and a high view of the Word and a high view of the law and a high view of God's law. They wanted to obey it. But when they spoke against their brother, they were actually speaking against the law. They thought they were obeying the law, but they were actually breaking the law. This is the next logical step in James' flow of thought. Is since loving others is what? It's the summary of the law. And since slander is failing to love one another, when you slander, you violate God's law. You put yourself in this position of claiming that you're superior to God's law. In a sense, every time we sin, we do this, but you usurp the very authority of God himself. I want you to imagine, if you were, a defendant who's committed some heinous crime, 
And he's brought into the courtroom, and he's brought before the judge, and his lawyer's next to him, but he he pushes his lawyer down. He stands up, and he says, look, judge, I committed this crime, but I'm above the law. Now, the law doesn't apply to me. What would happen is Turner would be like, well, we're done. He'd be convicted. And so when we slander, we are not above the law. And so if you are to experience victory over slander, you must take your proper place under God's law, under His authority. Remember to think about how you regard the law of God, which leads to James' third point, how we think about God. He talked about the law, and then he says, look, there's only one lawgiver. There's only one judge. Uh, That judge is able to save and to destroy In chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, we learn God's law is not just a a bunch of arbitrarily do's and don'ts. That's how a lot of people think about it. What God's law is, it's a revelation of His character. It's an expression of His character. And so when you violate the law, you insult God's person. It's to contradict God. When you say, I I can obey this law, which is to ignore uh, the other laws, it insults God. See, to take up the position of judge is to knock God off his throne. When you raise yourself above the law and above God, you're acting like Satan himself. How many times has the behavior that we seem to practice so easily in our lives, James says, I want, it's satanic. You had a satanic tongue. You had demonic wisdom. You have all these things. Here, this is acting like Satan. What did Satan do? We're told in Isaiah 14, we're given a description, as it were, of Satan's fall. And in Isaiah 14, we read, Satan said, "I, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. What's the emphasis there? I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And every time we slander, we're doing the same thing. I will be the lawgiver. I will be the judge. I will make myself like the most high. I will determine when slander is more important than loving my neighbor. I'll make that decision. You're saying you are God. That's the foolishness of slander. Remember Job? You have Job who God takes everything from him. Just to make a point to Satan, God takes everything from him. Well, at some point during Job's trials... Um, he, he, he put God in the dock, as C.S. Lewis calls it. He, he says, look, you sit down, and I'm going to judge you to God. You know, Job is said to be the most righteous person, and, 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 and all this happens to him. He loses everything. His life, he's about, he feels like he's going to die. He's got these boils all over him. His family died, blah, blah, blah. And so God now, he's saying, you've got to answer for yourself. And so what does God do? God says, yeah, you're right. I I probably blew it. No. The Lord speaks to Job, and he speaks to him out of a storm. Job's in the middle of a storm. His life's a wreck, and God says, I think what you're missing here is who I am. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Imagine if um, somebody comes to me for counseling, and their life's completely falling apart, and this is what I say. 
Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's and can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at every proud man and bring him low. Look at every proud man and humble him. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them all in dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. Job is life is falling apart. He questions God, and God says, let me remind you who I am. I am the sovereign Lord. I will give, and I will take away, and you have nothing you can say about it. Why? Can you look at every proud man and bring him low? No. Can you crush the wicked where they stand? No. Can you save yourself? No. No, no, no. See, James in verse 12, God alone is the lawgiver. God is the judge. God alone is able to destroy and to save. God gave the law, and he will be the judge of men by his law, and only he can do it. Why? Because only he knows the motives of the heart. And so we need to regard God before we open our mouths in slander, which leads to the last point, what we think of ourselves. Who are you, James says, to judge your neighbor? In light of who God is, who in the world do you think you are sitting in condemnation of others? Paul says, who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. See, if you think correctly about God, what happens is it helps you to have a a, a better view, the correct view of yourself. If you're saying, look, I I, I slander, I I, I slander too. If you you want to stop slander, what James is getting at here is you need to know who God is and who you are in relation to him. He is the creator. You're just a creature. He is infinite. You are finite. His knowledge is limitless. Yours is limited. He is master. You are servant. He alone is highly exalted. And so what are we to do? James said it. Humble ourselves before him. See, our words can reveal a self-focused, self-centered pride, a worldliness that, that literally rejects the humility he called us to earlier. And that's what slander does. That's what it is. It's a breach of humility, the humility we need to to receive grace. One writer said, if we're really low before God, if we're really low, remember last week, Gene's pushing us down, pushing us down, humbling us, humble yourself. If you're really low before God, we will have no altitude left from which to talk down to anyone. And, and so we need to remember, we need to think about how we regard ourselves, what, what we think of others, what we think about the law, what we think about God, and what we think about ourselves. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Now, you've heard all this. Let me close with this. If you're sensitive at all to the Spirit in your hearts, if I'm sensitive at all, we admit that this is convicting. Again, I, I've told you, James is going to get in our face, and he's going to confront us, and he's not going to mince words, and he didn't hear. And it just comes too easily. Somebody just disagrees with me on something. 
And I could spend 20 minutes, be careful. I could spend 20 minutes talking to my family, right? And, and, and slander people, right? And so it just comes so easy. And so what do we do? We, we've heard it. What do we do? Well, we, we, we get the right view. We've done that. Okay, now I understand that, that they're my brothers and sisters. I shouldn't do that. And then I have the law. I, I'm not God. I'm not the judge. I, 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 I know where I stand. I'm low. He's high. What do I do then when I see it raising its ugly head? Because walking out of here, just hearing what I just said to you, this is true. Oh, now you'll never slander again. No. See, we need to remember and we need to impress upon ourselves what we learned last week. We got to humble ourselves. We need to submit ourselves to God. We need to resist the devil and draw near to God. We need to repent. And then you will slander again, and you start the whole process over, and you submit, you resist, you draw near, you purify yourself, and you repent. See, James wants the conflicts in the church to stop. That's what he said in the beginning of the chapter. And for that to happen, we must see how destructive our tongues can be. And so he's saying, look, evaluate your speech. Do the words you often speak, do they build up or do they tear down? Do they exalt you while bringing others low? Do they promote love or do they promote conflict? Ask yourself, and when I'm speaking, most of the time, when I go throughout my day and I just evaluate my, my tongue, am I, what, am I, what am I promoting? What am I, what am I bringing about? Uh, do you need to repent? Not to be judgmental, but the answer is yes, you do. I do. We all do. We need to turn to Christ who never said a word of slander in his life, and yet he confronted people, didn't he? But he never slandered. His heart was pure. And it was, it, it, it's not just an example for us. It is an example, but it's more than that. He, he did that for us so that we can be forgiven, so we could be declared righteous. And so we let his love fill our hearts. See, when you have the love of Christ flowing through you, coursing through your veins, when you set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, what you do is you begin to channel the heavenly love that's been poured into your hearts by his spirit rather than channel that hellish slander. And so, if you do that, if you look to Christ, you put yourself in the position to receive more grace, and that's what we need, amazing grace. Let's pray. Our Father, we fall short we slander. Forgive us. Forgive us for looking down on our brothers and sisters. Forgive us for neglecting your law and denying who you are. Forgive us for recognizing that we are but man and dust. Fill us with your spirit that we may love in Christ's name. Amen.